Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Adrian. And I'm Thierry. This week, I'm talking to Stefan Pesch, CEO at the Luxembourg Private Equity and Venture Capital Association. What can you tell us about this conversation with Stefan? It was a very rich conversation for sure. I wanted to speak to Stefan to understand the wider picture in which Luxembourg wants to position itself in this very diverse and competitive industry, rather than talking about specific PE strategies, such as buyouts and so forth. Indeed, the organization is well-placed to project a more holistic view of the local ecosystem. Yes, agreed. And what can you give away to our listeners at this stage? Before diving into this insightful chat, there's a little bit of jargon busting that we need to do. Throughout the conversation, Stefan sometimes refers to PSFs, which is the Luxembourg acronym for professionals of the financial sector, which is essentially any regulated entity providing financial services outside of the credit institutions, such as wealth managers, a custodian, and so forth. Regarding private equity jargon, PE investments are managed within a private equity fund with several stakeholders involved in the process. In this conversation, Stefan will refer to general partners, GPs, and limited partners, LPs. The former are responsible for managing the investments within the private equity fund and get compensation for this in return. They can be legally liable for the actions of the fund. And the limited partners are usually wealthy individuals or institutions such as pension funds or insurance companies, etc., that invest in those funds to grow their capital over time. This particular investment segment is generally not accessible to small retail investors, as minimum investment amounts tend to be quite high, this on top of having liquidity restrictions. This means that investors usually have to wait for an average of 10 years before seeing their capital being returned depending on the level of risk taken, of course. In contrast, listed shares with ample liquidity can be bought and sold quite easily. That's indeed very important to know beforehand. But now back to the LPA. What key highlights can we discuss here? Yes, the LPA is a very dynamic association when it comes to providing support to its members. There is a lot of challenges that the PE industry is facing, which ranges from promoting greater transparency in the ESG space, to implementing a balanced male-female diversity ratio, and of course, embracing digitalization. As mentioned on previous episodes, Luxembourg has been making a lot of efforts to attract the right talent in order to prop up its economy. PE is no exception to this rule. But now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Stefan Pesch, CEO at the Luxembourg Private Equity and Venture Capital Association. Stefan, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks a lot, Adrian. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. I have to say, just for the note, it's been nine months since I've had a face-to-face conversation. So uh, it feels very special to me, especially during those uh, COVID-19 times and all the, all the things that we've experienced so far. But we've got a tradition here, Stefan, at, uh, on our show at Lux Unplugged. We'd like to know every time we talk to someone, you know, who are we talking to? As a starter, so for people who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? 
So first of all, hello everybody. So my name is Stefan Pesch. I'm the CEO of the Luxembourg Private Equity and Venture Capital Association since September 1st. I studied finance and economics in France and then did an exchange program in the US, came back to Luxembourg, started more in the media sector and then switched back to the financial services. So there I was able to gather 14 years of experience uh, within different uh, depository banks in Luxembourg around investment funds and also more and more moved into the direction of alternative uh, assets, including then private equity for sure and venture capital. And there I also switched later on to an PSF here in Luxembourg, really specialized in the fields before joining DLPA. All right. So um, did you find out quite soon enough that private equity in particular was uh, a field that you wanted to go for? In the beginning, I did not really know it. I started in liquid classical funds, but I always uh, had studied uh, asset management, was interested by the field. And then slowly and surely, I was really more and more interested by uh, private equity. Also, thanks to the creation of the LPA, which was then in 2010, was one of the, the first members also to attend. And I found that really interesting, irresistible, because it combined, uh, so first of all, the finance element, but also the entrepreneurial spirit, which you can find um, then, uh, for example, for private equity uh, houses, but also for venture capitalists. And that's very important and dear to my heart because uh, that brings a specific edge to the whole discussion and field, which makes it even more interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, I can imagine with all the experience that you've gathered throughout the time you, uh, you came to that conclusion. So, um, uh, so, so now today, I mean, I understand since the... So we're recording this uh, podcast or this episode in December 2020, so, so a few days before Christmas. You've taken on the, the role of CEO at, the, at this organization of yours since uh, early September. So I'm interested actually in knowing, you know, for people that are not familiar with the LPEA, first of all, how would you describe its mission? And actually, what well, and thereafter, what's your division that you've, you've got since, since you joined this organization? Because uh, being a CEO of, of, of such a powerful industry here in Luxembourg comes with great responsibilities. And then uh, thereafter, I think uh, Luxembourg being a specific place for, for, for private equity members, how would you describe the, the membership that you've got so far? So the association was created, as I said, in 2010 by local practitioners who thought that it would really make sense to push further the activity in Luxembourg and to really get then a specialized association around the field. Um, I, I knew it then for, for many years and they proposed many uh, technical committees which you could join and uh, work on different topics, be it legal, tax, but also operational things and how to push further the, the whole um, mission of the LPA, which is, if I would define it, it's to promote, it's to represent and defend the interests of the members, but certainly also of the private equity and venture capital industries. So that is really one of the main missions that I pursue as CEO of the association and which is really in our DNA concerning um, the membership and also then the different member categories, we have the full members. Those are either GPs, LPs or family offices. Those are around 150 in the association right now. And the association has reached a new peak, uh, a new record of 300 members this year. And uh, the other members are the associate members. Those are a mix of 
different service providers, including banks, AFMs, PSFs, but also certainly the Magic Circle, law firms, other law firms, uh, audits uh, companies and tax advisors. And finally, the third category is composed of uh, either non-exec directors or entrepreneurs also welcome to join us in order to discuss and push further the ecosystem. So that's really, uh, in a nutshell, what we do at level of the association. And I joined then the association in 19, October 19, as director strategy in, in order then to push already different um, main tasks, which included the public affairs part, public advocacy, certainly also the development of sort leadership, so producing content and sharing that with the community and also outside of the community. And also finally uh, adding um, to the game then also the, the whole talent attraction part. And out of the members that you've just described, what is the, uh, the geographies behind them? Are they mainly so they, they Luxembourgish based, I would imagine, but what is the, the, the origins of those members? Yes, I mean, most of our members are European, but we also certainly have uh, then uh, large private equity houses who are from the US or other regions in the world, but who then either started with an UK-based entity and then afterwards followed up with then more Luxembourg substance and then created their whole entity also in, in Luxembourg. It is said that private equity firms or private equity funds provide superior returns or higher returns compared to their listed counterparts. However, in, in the current context, given the talks that have been about ESG matters and, and the way to disclose how you're doing at that level, the standard, I mean, I would imagine there's certain standards that you have to meet, but still public companies, so they want the listed counterparts are seemingly ahead of the private equity firms. Where, as the CEO of the you know, overarching association, where do you see the trends coming? How do you see the PE industry changing to catch up? with uh, the public companies. Sure, this is really a trend that we have to embed in our strategy in the future. Um, on the ESG side, I mean, there will be the SFDR, so Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, to be applied then uh, in, from March 2021 on, where then uh, also our players and members will have to adapt and uh, apply. I mean, um, there is an, uh, we have an impression that it will be uh, pragmatic in the beginning because some rules and details still need uh, to be disclosed and explained. But uh, Luxembourg and also our community will uh, embrace that. I mean, certainly in the past, we had other regulations, uh, directives that were not directly um, accepted by all the players or not everybody was fond of, let's say it like that. But afterwards, uh, uh, those transformed into new opportunities. For example, for the AFMD, we afterwards got then, for example, the third-party Manco system. We had the uh, non-banks uh, able to do depository services. And certainly, th this gave also the whole um, European passport momentum to the sector, which was also quite helpful, also for Luxembourg. So here, the question is um, for ESG. I mean, we have uh, all talked a lot about it and heard about it. Now, I think time is ripe to put something in place. It should be done in a pragmatic way. For example, for private equity funds who are in a majority closed-ended funds, if those funds are closed already and people are in the investment phase, I think there to force an adaptation does not really make sense because that will not be very helpful because no new investors will join it. But uh, I mean, some rules will have to be applicable also for the fields. And this also shows uh, one of the first steps around 
moving from, um, I would call it, a, a shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism, where, for example, you have examples of big players, be it Goldman Sachs, State Street, who, for example, will push for more diversity in the future or on the level of the boards, for example, or will use some uh, scoring systems, which could be sometimes uh, compared to uh, credit rating uh, scoring systems in the future. Who knows? And everybody is competing for capital. So uh, just um, continuing, uh, just, um, I mean, uh, implementing an ESG report as just a strict minimum could potentially not be enough in the future. So there you should show also your strategy and your commitments to, to the idea and concept. So uh, I think uh, it might uh, require some efforts in the beginning, but uh, it will certainly be uh, very interesting in the future. Family offices, as we know, so the, sort of the, the, the I would say institutions, the, the sort of vehicles that are being used by wealthy families to manage their own, their own uh, wealth, We've got the wealth transfer happening now, where the younger generation are taking over because the, their, their parents are, are taking a step back. There's, there's been a lot of talks about the family officers having more appetite for private equity, but also with the younger generations coming in, imposing more, you know, more accountability, more transparency on, on yes, she matters. So, you, you know, you've got, you want to have an impact, show it to me that you're doing the right things. What did you feel about that? Is this like a trend you've been seeing? Because the family offices are quite quite present here in the country, so I would imagine there's some trends happening there as well. I can really also concur to, to that uh, idea because, I mean, we um, talked in the past about that uh, financial performance, but uh, ESG is... Uh, also inserting those non-financial KPIs or uh, added value and that's very important and I think it's not just a question of uh, generation because I have kids, I certainly also want uh, them to, to live in, in a proper world which is then still feasible and I think this is everybody's chance but also care to, to, to do something in that field too so for me I think that personally that, that completely makes sense. We've had a lot of momentum coming from the the European Commission. So the European Union has been has been kind of a champion uh, in that front compared to other major uh, geographies in the world. Uh, as we as most of people know, the the Green Deal, so a big piece of legislation, a big big initiative, has been pushed by the European Union via the uh, what they call the EU taxonomy. So I think today we all know we can classify. We know what's brown assets, so not ESG-compliant assets, and the green assets, which are supposedly the ones that the, the European Commission wants to promote for any sort of future investments and will lead to more, to more growth. And as I, I said earlier, the, um, the EIB is around the corner. The EIB is, is, is now becoming the climate bank. They're changing the way they're doing things. But at the same time, this, this has an effect on its investment arm, which is the EIF, which is applying the same logic when they, when they run their mandates. So um, from an LPA perspective, I had a very specific question for you, Stefan, is coming, knowing that Luxembourg is home to those institutions, how does the LPA position itself? You know, does it gain momentum from that as well and promote it in the same fashion with the EU taxonomy with its members? So in order to, to tackle it and concretely, um, we have started and launched then an ESG club within the association, which really deals with those different topics. So we also have uh, now a new legal committee, which will also take that uh, specific legal angle to the question. 
um, in, in, and analyze it. So here the thing is, um, what are we doing with that club? We are raising awareness, we are opening dialogues, we are discussing best practices, we are also pain points because let's also be pragmatic here. All, uh, all those modifications will not happen in five minutes. So let's also be um, also business friendly, but take it absolutely seriously into account. And uh, we are creating bridges with our friends, for example, from Luxflag, where uh, who will participate to our training academy uh, in March 2021, where we'll then also push a complete ESG uh, course around the matter, but with then that specific lens of private equity and venture capital. Such initiatives are pushing further uh, and helping really the, the sector to um, gain momentum, but also implement it uh, in the right manner. And that's really dear to us and important. Yeah, just just for the listenership, we had Lux Flag a few months ago on on the, on the podcast with uh, Denise Voss, chairwoman of this uh, this organization. So yeah, so indeed, so with with, uh, with Lux Flag, you intend uh, intend in, in creating partnerships, and is there like a label already? Because Lux Flag is in charge of issuing those labels, suggesting that that the funds that they they want to promote are ESG compliant. Are there already like PE or VC compliant labels issued by the Lux Flag institution? For the moment, that sounds really like a great idea. We are not that uh, ready, but it could certainly be an angle to discuss in the future how to then um, apply uh, that labeling um, to then also private equity or venture capital funds. But as usual, this in the end uh, remains uh, the responsibility of our different members. They will have to apply then those different rules but uh, we can help them uh, while procuring them with the, the right knowledge and also the right platform in order to do so and create that exchange. A, another part of the governance problematic, I would tend to say, it's a quite a general thing in finance. You know, the, the, the male-female split of the workforce is notoriously known for being highly skewed towards the male part of the population, and I believe private equity is not an exception to this rule. <laughs> what does the, the, the sector need to do to make private equity more attractive to women, first of all, and how can Luxembourg potentially stand out in that regard? Completely share um, the analysis that uh, absolutely not enough women for the moment in our field, and that should be really uh, enhanced. We have created, therefore, uh, the Private Equity for Women Club, which was really uh, there to help them out to also discuss those different topics and to brainstorm around what could we do in order to accelerate that move. It's led by Manon uh, and also by, by Nicolas, and they both have lots of good ideas because they try to, for example, they have implemented a coaching, mentoring program also uh, for young, talented women in order then to discuss such topics, in order to see what uh, could ease also the access to the asset class and industry to for other women and then use those good examples also in order to attract them and explain them that it's absolutely feasible that if they have done interesting studies, that if they like numbers or entrepreneurial and are self-confident that they absolutely can uh, be successful in our field. This is here not about uh, a, a hard physical job. This is really about uh, intellectual. It's being smart and agile. And there she, they can absolutely, the women, uh, succeed in, in this field too. So for us, there should in theory not be that uh, difference, but it takes time. And also, I think uh, something interesting would be to... Um, 
plant the seeds also uh, in order for women, like uh, in the age when they are doing their A-levels and then moving to university, to explain them that this is absolutely feasible, that they probably could really um, do uh, be then a mixture of uh, science studies mixed with business or really go directly for the business and then look at, at the sector itself because it proposes many interesting opportunities also for them on career opportunities. Have you seen any improvements in the well, over the last few years? Has there been any any bigger proportion of women applying for PE jobs in in Luxembourg or in general, or is it still still like work in progress and you, you're waiting for change to happen? I would say there have been uh, small, um, let's say, better numbers, um, but it still takes time. And the thing is. Um, some uh, employers, active private equity uh, practitioners, they will certainly then put a, a job posting, be it on our website, on their website, and then people will respond. But they can certainly open it, male, female, so no difference. But if, and that sometimes happens, unfortunately, if uh, out of 10 persons applying to the job, you only have two women and eight men, Honestly, the statistics are probably going again in one specific direction. And that is unfortunate. So the question is, why are then such talented women not uh, applying to? And that's where we should also look at in the future. Is it a question of um, not knowing about the sector or having a, a false idea about it because of its uh, strong male constituency? Or what can we do in order to make then uh, some, some make those changes? In a case where you just said you have someone applying for a job that is promoted by the LPA and, of course, the, 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 the final employer or prospect, prospective employer, could someone, um, could the lady just call you up and say, oh, I'm very interested in that, but I, I need your support to do that? Um, just someone having a, a very serious case and, you know, just to go against those biases and preconceptions, would you support for sure. I mean, I'm also part of that uh, mentoring program and uh, my door would certainly be open to discuss um, some, some tips and tricks, some hints and share simply experiences. Here uh, at the LPA level, we are, if I could say so, best in class since we are six employees, two men and four women. Here but I mean, this is, uh, let's now um, also be um, realistic in the entire field. We will have to help uh, those women, those talents out in order to, to make it their way but also women who are now uh, on top of power, of boards, etc., also have certainly a responsibility to try to help then their young fellow women and followers then afterwards to make it also in the right direction. So there also some strong leadership. For example, my predecessor, Raja, was always defending the cause and uh, she was absolutely right. She's showing then a good example. So people can absolutely. always ask her, how did she make it? Uh, what were her different steps? What, etc. What, what could we do? And those are, I think, concrete, right examples where people should really take their courage and ask us then if they have such similar questions. Yeah, absolutely, having a role model is uh, is uh, extremely good. Just to give the impulse to, to anyone aspiring to to join the PE industry, I definitely go on that one. But if you don't mind, I'm, I want to move back a bit, a bit more to, on you know to to Luxembourg as a as a financial center and, and why it's attractive to, to private equity in general. We were discussing earlier offline that uh, Luxembourg has been a very popular hub for, for funds. I mean, it's been, I believe, for the last 40 years, it's been a very 
a very popular destination for the administration of funds through the various European piece of legislation that have come out, like the UCITS 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, I think. All, all that, all the, the backbone that has made the Luxembourg, or the Luxembourg, the European fund industry very attractive as it is today. We've got the GPs and the, the LPs, or general partners and limited partners, being registered in Luxembourg. However, where the investment decisions are, are being made is generally not happening in Luxembourg. It's, it's been the actual fund managers are, would usually be based in jurisdictions like London, Paris, the bigger capitals, kind of. So my question to you is, is there any chance now, I don't know, with Brexit and all, and all the other big events happening shortly, is there a way that Luxembourg can attract those fund managers? You know, just not having the GPs and the vehicles in Luxembourg, but also having the decision-making part in the country going forward. This is a very good question, and this is also then discussed at the, the highest level here in Luxembourg. Luxembourg was absolutely and is really recognized for its uh, back office uh, specialty and expertise. We moved up the, the, the ladder of the value chain also to, to the middle office with new jobs. Uh, concerning also the, the legal legal counsel part, but also investor relations, fundraising, so new activities also being in Luxembourg, certainly also the risk management angle with those AFMs here in Luxembourg and more substance being required. Next to that, so what could we do more? So you can certainly um, uh, go that next step, which would then be to, uh, to attract then those uh, managers also locally. The question then would be, uh, how do you do it? And you could apply different uh, angles to it. Uh, first, one of the first ones could be, for example, taxation. You could discuss the different carried interest topics, etc. Could that be one of the magnets? Certainly has to be taken into account, but it's not everything. So also the infrastructure of Luxembourg is important. Also the impression of what people can get here. We always hear a lot that story of uh, people came to Luxembourg, thought they would uh, just uh, work for two years here, and then they stayed more than 25. So uh, there are some <laughs> strong qualities also to be in Luxembourg. Also, uh, for example, not due to COVID for the moment, but also Luxembourg changed a lot on the cultural side so you can have also uh, the best place here in Luxembourg great concerts and also uh, and also some possibilities to spend some nice quality time here with your family also in an English speaking uh, environment which is really increasing from year to year so all those steps um, are part of a complete equation which um, are or could become a magnet of attracting more here to Luxembourg but uh, you also have the structures. And if we continue increasing a little bit more the substance angle, then uh, some new roles uh, would also be, uh, could be then also uh, placed here in Luxembourg in the future. So if you take all those elements into account, that could then lead to, uh, again, more presence in Luxembourg also for the asset management or investment taking decisions. Yeah, there's been a general trend overall, but do you think that Bre has Brexit been any kind of tailwind for the, the local industry in that sense? There are certainly uh, companies who came to Luxembourg due to Brexit who needed uh, some certainty, some legal, but also the infrastructure for the EU passport, who needed also, since the Luxembourg toolbox is really well recognized abroad, also then to place the operations here. And for them, it really made sense to already then uh, come to Luxembourg even before the end of the transitional period. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, and it can certainly continue in the future. 
but uh, the thing here is really um, what can Luxembourg do on its own in order to, to um, accelerate such movement, which would also be uh, interesting in the future. For example, when we look at the, the rise of the family offices also in Luxembourg, that's also an interesting move because those are then also a new type of investors in Luxembourg, but they take the decisions here in Luxembourg when they invest into, for example, a private equity fund. And that also uh, makes the whole financial hub even more interesting in the future and also could bring interesting revenues for the Luxembourg state in the future. I know you mentioned earlier the, all the perks that Luxembourg offers and how they've been improving that, but do, do you have any actual feedback from recent managers that have moved over here and then how, they've, how you could take that away and, and sell it on to, to other prospective people? Uh, yes, for example, we had recently our flagship conference, the E-Insights, which was then held digitally, and there we had then a dedicated Brexit panel with then, um, then Michael Moore from BVCA, Nicholas Muckle from LFF, and also then uh, a person from the UK, a manager, who uh, decided to come to Luxembourg and then who did uh, a concrete testimonial on what were then he, the reasons of his choice, how that whole process was then during the entire procedure, and uh, how quickly he was then able to work on here from Luxembourg and, and to use then the structures. So such testimonials were certainly always um, are very helpful also for our audience and community, and that's why we then try to find such uh, new examples. I mean, we can discuss that a little bit further. That's why also Luxembourg should never halt to continue developing its toolbox and should always look into how we can make it even more efficient and also uh, optimize it in the future uh, because the, the competition is never sleeping. So it's not... It isn't, no. <laughs> yes, and, and that's important. So let's look into what could we, for example, change in our company law again after... Uh, the last uh, update in 16 in order to see uh, which new features would really make sense from a private equity venture capital angle and could make us again stronger in the future. Such things have to be conducted um, uh, at a uh, recurring uh, frequency for sure. Traditionally, private equity for small investors has been something a bit more remote. Uh, traditionally, you would say that uh, you can only invest in PE funds, either if you're a pension fund, insurance, or whatever, whatever institutional spectrum you, you go across, or even like the, the sophisticated high net worth individuals and private banks that, uh, that come in with, with a certain level of means to do that. But we've, we never talk about the, the, the smaller retail person having access to funds or vehicles that give them higher returns compared to what they, they can find uh, on the usual stock, stock markets or bonds. Or I'm thinking about a particular example that, that's been recently launched. So BPI France, which is a state-owned investment bank, which was, I think, um, initiated when François Hollande was president, just to promote a bit more like national champions. They've recently opened an, a private equity fund where small retail investors can invest. Uh, I think starting amount is €5,000, which is extremely accessible for this, this type of vehicles or this type of uh, investment uh, industry. Have you heard of anything similar or any momentum for Luxembourg investors rather than investing in traditional asset classes? Well, first of all, we have heard about that example be then in the US and also then in, in France. And uh, even if now the word retailization is a bit... Uh, too quick uh, about it, it's certainly of high interest. Within the association, we have launched also, therefore, a wealth management club. 
led by um, two colleagues who are very interested to demystify the asset class also then to private banking clients, but also wealth management clients. And this is, in our eyes, uh, the first step which should be taken. So we are then moving next to the classical institutional investors also and family offices, also to that category of new investors interested by those uh, excellent returns and also by the diversification of their portfolio with then private equity exposure. The next step certainly goes again then in that direction of who else can you then attract later on. And that could then rejoin that uh, those two examples that were you just cited, uh, be it then in the US or in France, where then uh, some more retail investors could invest into private equity. Because in the past it was more complicated or you needed to, to have that uh, high net worth status or to be a well-informed investor, at least 125,000 euros, etc., things like that. For example, Moonfair as a platform is also interesting because, I mean, from, I mean those, the, the, the amounts are higher. Moonfair, what is Moonfair? This is an, an entrepreneur and they allow you to, uh, I mean, via their platform to invest into a selection of private equity funds. But I mean, the amounts are still above the 5,000 euros for sure. But this is, for example, also a, a, a good idea concept of how to democratize it in an, a more efficient way. Such ideas could certainly lead to how could we then do concretely in Luxembourg in order to do so. We had the, the, the discussion is taking momentum. For the moment, we have not started any discussion with SNCI specifically, but I mean, that could certainly be one of the angles. Uh, some others could be then to look into what is being produced then, uh, outside of Luxembourg and to see if one direction or the other would fit. Because to have that private equity exposure, that also brings some sometimes constraints with it because you know that in a typical uh, private equity fund, you have the different capital calls where then your money yet that you have promised will then be called. And then, I mean, imagine you would then be a retail investor and you would have then to comply with that and you would miss the deadline and things like that with uh, different uh, problems later on. That would not be that easy. So also to, to um, manage that liquidity. So some interesting questions have also first to be uh, answered Analyzed in order to see if then uh, the fund could then remain closed-ended or if you would have to use something more hybrid, which would then be mixed with different investments like they want to do in the US, for example. So to be continued, I mean, for the moment, we don't have now uh, uh, um, and just a, a single answer to the question, but I think the industry is for sure interested to see how then uh, to make uh, other new investors uh, also benefit from that performance in the future. Do you think there's a there's enough appetite for that? Because um, I, I was referring to Luxembourg specifically because um, a very um, traditional Luxembourg investor has been very active in property. So real estate is a very favoured asset class, but private equity is a bit more of a distant thing. You can you can you can argue that the fees are not transparent enough, or it's it's difficult to understand. You know, yeah, as you said, liquidity. You can't you can't have access to your funds as quickly enough. You have to wait for longer. Do you think there's a bit of education that needs to be done, or people just don't, don't invest in it because they, they don't yeah they don't understand what it is? What's the what's the feedback been so far? I think for sure. I mean, more education, more promotion of the asset class, and explaining how it works and what the benefits are would certainly be required. But many would love to invest already in private equity. For me, myself, for sure, I would love to uh, have a selection of private equity funds I could then choose off and then uh, inject some money into. 
that would certainly be nice. But the thing here is also you, uh, we just highlighted a few of the elements you have to take into account and um, those can then not always be compared to, for example, a real estate investment if you would buy then a small studio here in Luxembourg. Uh, but when you look honestly at uh, the current prices of the market right now, those, yes, have really changed over the last years with a, a big rush and increase. So the question is, are such investments still manageable because, uh, I mean, uh, the prices are very high and uh, so it's not that easy again to just buy studios if they cost 500k, I mean, just as an example. So question mark also there. Then, uh, for example, investing uh, one-fifths in a private equity uh, field could then also be, again, very interesting in the future due to the strong returns that you were able to, to demonstrate over the last years. Uh, finally, I've got I've got also like a, a more open question for you because I think you know you've you've had the overview of how things have been moving here. You're familiar with the Luxembourg PE industry, the the landscape, the, the the participants, legislation, and so forth. But in your opinion, if if you had any chance, what would you change in in the Luxembourg PE industry? The Luxembourg PE uh, industry has And shown, if you could do that, yeah, yes, what would you change? For sure. So yeah. I will take that magic stick yeah. and try to modify those things. Exactly. I think we have done quite well over the last years. But as we said before, so let's not rest and look into the future directly. So I would look into um, to help also the message to be also broader. Um, to the at outside community, certainly to work on the statistics, which is a topic very important, for example, to of, of uh, to our president, uh, because uh, it's really important to know your own backyard. So, when you do interviews like here or others, it's always good to have some numbers, some concrete numbers, which then you can explain in detail and show some interesting growth patterns. This does not always mean that you should just talk about how many funds or AUMs, because there are lots of other interesting criteria or KPIs, which are very, very important, like, for example, the on-cold capital, which you should also take into account. So there we are working hand in hand with different public and private stakeholders in order to push that also further but it takes time. Another element would be to inject more digitalization in our field, having worked both on the side of depository banks and PSFs. I think uh, as champions of technology with strong data centers, HPC and lots of other uh, interesting future features, that uh, also the entire sector could become a little bit more uh, automated and digitalized. That would be very interesting. And uh, as also highlighted before, I think let's uh, check into our company law, the toolbox, etc., in order then again to get uh, the nicest edge out of it uh, in the future. Well, then you've got a very clear roadmap to promote going forward. I think, uh, yeah, the, the digitalization is a, is a huge topic. So I guess if we could, could usually benefit from this move. I want to more move towards the about you specifically, as this podcast is also, it's not only about the topics that we have to discuss, that we want to discuss, it's also about understanding how the business leaders think and what their lifestyle is and how, how they just, you know, what makes them tick every day whenever they, they wake up. So we have, we have a very, uh, one of our favorite questions that uh, not only guests but also listeners like uh, hearing about or, or responding to is, you know, you, I know you're, you're Luxembourg national, so you were born here and so forth. But if you were to promote the country, Luxembourg as such, what would you say, what would you like the most about the Grand Duchy? Professionally and, of course, personally. First of all, very proud of what has been achieved and what will come up. 
concerning Luxembourg. I would certainly say the strengths, certainly agility, capacity of being open really to the world, to other nations, other people, and certainly capacity of innovating further. So, for example, taking that stance of investment funds in the uh, end of 80s was a very strong move, absolutely in the right direction, having done also the satellites, looking into other fields, be, could it be space economy, space resources, who knows. Also very uh, clever move also to push further the, the Luxembourg uh, startup ecosystem, the technology part, again, with those different infrastructures we have here, completely makes sense in my eyes. So it's really um, uh, how to be creative and build on your strengths and using then that um, smart decision taking, that those quick ways Luxembourg is famous for. So, I mean, to reach the right decision takers uh, with a few calls, that's very important. And also uh, one of the, the, the enormous trends I've always admired is to be able to work as an ecosystem which uh, speaks out with one voice and defends the financial hub and the economy also. And afterwards, everybody can certainly promote his strengths and uh, USPs. But, uh, I mean, speaking with one voice is key. But on that note, I think we are, we are coming closer. We are actually wrapping up our conversation today. So, Stefan, it was a real pleasure to talk to you today. I'm sure we'll have the opportunity to talk again for any future episodes and follow-ups that we, we would normally do as part of our program. But uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. Thanks a lot, Adrian. It was also a huge pleasure on my side. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time.